Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So we sing these awesome words about God, about the things that we believe, what creation is like, what God is going to do. And yet sometimes in life it seems like there's a disconnect. Turn on the news yesterday morning. First thing, 10-year-old girl dies because she choked on a marshmallow at a birthday party. And nobody found her until she had so much brain damage that eventually she couldn't live. Yesterday in the news as well, next story. I don't remember where it was, but there's some place where a family, eight people, executed different houses, different places. Someone went around and killed everyone in the family except for a newborn that somehow escaped. And that's just yesterday morning's news. And we know and we experience, we, we know stories. We could all probably tell stories of things that we've heard. You know, a young mother who, who goes to the doctor and then finds out that, that she has a lump in her breast and, and it's a really aggressive kind of cancer in the treatment and over the next year and she dies and she leaves behind three little ones and a husband. And we feel so this, this disconnect and we, we, we can't really quite make sense of it. And all the way around the world, these stories are repeated time after time. And in one sense, we might say, well, you know, these are people that don't know Christ. They aren't believers and, and try to relegate it that way. But these things happen to Christians as well. Christians are not exempt from these things. And so we're in this series talking about unbelief and struggling with unbelief and, and how do we, you know, grow in this area of our lives where we aren't, unbelief doesn't undermine us, doesn't prevent us from being able to live for the Lord the way that he wants us to and the way that we want to. And this area we're talking about, when the hard things come, when they come into your life or into your family's life and you can't make sense of it, and sometimes it seems like You know, something happens to someone, and it isn't just one thing, it's two things, it's three things in the short period of time. And and people lose their faith sometimes, don't they? They come up with questions they don't know how to answer. And so what we want to do today is try to look and see what does God say? How do we keep ourselves in a position where we are able to keep believing God and go forward. Now I have to say to you, there are no emotionally satisfying answers to these hard things. In other words, they feel really bad. And for good reason, you know why? Because they are really bad. And they feel bad. And so emotionally, it's not like we're gonna find a solution and go, oh, now I get it, everything's fine. 
And if you do that, I think something's wrong. (laughs) And so what we have to do is we have to get back understanding what it really means to believe God. And so we've been talking about this in this series. And so uh, let's take a look. And just to review, I got some graphics up here. Go ahead and put that first one up there if you would. Say, we're talking about believing God. And we said there are um, two aspects to believing God, right? Remember what they are? They are what? What are they? Truth and trust. That's right. It's when those two things come together that we are believing God. And we had uh, described it like this, that uh, believing God is choosing to trust him to live by what he says is truth. Okay, so we're choosing to trust and act on the truth that he has revealed to us. That's when we're believing God. If we're lacking either one of these, it's gonna be messed up. If we, if we have If we think something's true and it's not true, at some point it doesn't work. And then we struggle with with believing God and trusting him. Or maybe we have the truth, but we're struggling to take the step to trust. We have to have both of these things in here. And then last week we were talking about when belief is elusive, when we, you know, we have this, remember the the story we've been in is that uh, the man who says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And we said, what kind of things cause this struggle with the unbelief in there? And we listed five things. Go ahead and put those up there if you would. So we have a lack of knowledge. And we don't know what's true. And so therefore, how can we trust when we don't know what's true? Then sometimes there are intellectual questions that, you know, we're trying to make sense of things, trying to figure out. And that, you know, inhibits us from uh, making the decision to trust. Sometimes there's just wrong thinking. And remember last week we talked about learning to put the truth on the right side of the butt? If you weren't here last week, you're saying, now, boy, you've gone off the deep end on me, Walt, there. I don't know what you're talking about. But we're trying to say, we use this example that, you know, hey, I know God is good and, and that he says he will provide for my needs and that he's able to do that. I know that, but I think I'm losing my job. And, and we focus on the losing the job. What we want to do instead is put the truth that we want to control our thinking and our decision making on the right side of the word but in that sentence. So instead we wanna say, I think I'm losing my job, but I know that God is good, he promises to provide and he's able to do that. And so we're shifting where our focus is and we're focusing on the truth that needs to control our thinking and our living, okay? So when we have wrong thinking, just wrong thinking about things, and it doesn't always fall into that pattern, Uh, but that's a real practical thing to help us. And then we have unresolved sin in our lives. And when there's unresolved sin in our lives, it really does a number on us in in how we relate to God. Because there's forgiveness with God, isn't there? You know, we come come before him and say, oh God, here I am, I know this doesn't belong in my life, I don't want it in my life, I I wanna turn away from it, you know, and he restores the relationship and forgives us. And I say restore the relationship, the relationship never goes away, but it's affected, right? Negatively, there's a a sense of distance in it. And so when we're that way, we don't feel confident asking God to do things for us. We don't feel confident trusting God when we're involved in ongoing sin. And so that becomes an issue. And then finally, there is, for some, just an unwillingness to surrender. I'm not not gonna do it. I'm not gonna have, I, I don't want this. I don't want what it means to follow God, okay? And so that person's obviously not gonna believe God, not gonna uh, act on the truth and trust. 
And then we bring in one more component, what we're talking about today, and this is the emotional aspect. Emotionally challenging circumstances. These hard, hard things that just, good God, really bad stuff. And, and this question, you know, what did I do to deserve this? Or I prayed and it, God didn't answer. And on and on it goes. And that becomes a real roadblock for people. And so when I said earlier there are no emotionally satisfying answers, uh, let me suggest to you that we as a culture have become a very emotionally driven culture. Uh, God gave us emotions. Emotions are intended to warn us about things. They're intended to reinforce things. They're intended to motivate us about things. Emotions and feelings were never in intended to figure out what's true. That's not what they're for. But in our culture, we have come to a point where we determine whether or not someone's true based on how I feel about it. And if, if I'm doing that, then I'm in a world of hurt. And there will never be an emotionally satisfying answer because the feelings, that's, they don't do that. They don't figure those things out. And so it's really crucial that we get to the truth, understand the truth about it. And yeah, our emotions are there, and they, like I said, the answers are not emotionally satisfying, but we know the truth, we can understand the truth, we can begin to govern our thinking by the truth, we can begin to make life decisions on the basis of the truth, trusting God, believing God, and our emotions will find their right level, okay? And then they can work for us instead of against us. Now, thankfully, as always, these major things in life, God has something to say in the scriptures about them. And, and I want to say to you that I, uh, I feel very challenged bringing this sermon to you today because as I worked on it, uh, I began to realize that this sermon could have easily been a sermon series, all right? Because there's a lot of stuff related to this. And because of that, we will not be doing what we normally do, which is typically sit down and spend long, you know, long sections of scripture and dealing with them, because I'm gonna have a lot of scriptures to, to get with you on, and we are going to put most of them on the screen behind me. But let's do this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that as we spend this time here looking at your word, considering what's really true so that we might choose to trust you, Help us to see what we need to see. Lead me along, Father, in, in what I say and how I say it. And I pray that we would all open our hearts to you to already say yes to you about whatever is really true and right. We need to hear from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're gonna start there and we're gonna look at just part of this passage and then we're gonna come back to it later. The Gospel of Luke, it's on page 1201 in the Bible that's in the chairs there and we encourage you if you don't have a Bible with you to take one of those Bibles and follow along. This will be the only passage you'll be looking up today. Page 1201, the Gospel of Luke chapter 13. We're just gonna read one verse to start with. It says, there were present at that season some who told him, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. What are they talking about? What it's saying is that the Jews who lived in Galilee apparently had come to sacrifice at the temple and for some reason or other, Pilate had them killed. 
He had them killed. They had come to worship God. They'd shown up to worship God. Pilate, maybe just to make a point, the Roman governor, has them killed and so that he says, okay, you were gonna do a sacrifice and there was blood, let's, let's put your blood in with the mix. Now, if we saw on the news today that, that uh, five people were killed going to church to worship God, what would we think? Terrible thing, right? And how would we think about that? And that's, they're bringing this to Jesus because they're trying to figure out how to think about it. And we are going to come back to that in a little while. We need to know how to think about these things, see? We need to, to be able to uh, address these issues in a way that is biblical. So what I wanna do here is take these, these five reasons that we already had up on the screen behind us about why we struggle to believe, and I would like to walk through those reasons on this issue with you, okay? So let's start off with the very first one, lack of knowledge. Uh, you might be new to the Christian faith, and so you don't have a lot of knowledge of what the Bible says. What, uh, and you may have been saved for a long time and still not have perfect understanding. Anybody here got perfect understanding of the scriptures? No one's gonna admit it anyway, right? No, we don't. So there's always something to learn here. But what we need here is a biblical worldview. And what that means is we need to see the world, we need to look at life the way God says it is. And the reason we wanna look at the way God says it is is because that is the way it really is. Truth. And we gotta have the truth in order to be able to trust God in it. So let's just, let's talk about how things work in the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And all that is in them. He creates and he sets two things in place that are really going to govern how things work. One of those things he sets in place is what we would call natural law or the laws of nature. He set those things in place so that the world operates in a certain way. In other words, if, if I were to drop something here today on the platform, if I let go of it, what's gonna happen? It's gonna fall down to the floor here. It's not gonna fall to the floor because I, I let go of it and God grabs it and God then puts it down there. Now what did he do? He established natural laws. He established the law of gravity. He established all the laws of physics, all how things work. And boy, that's a good thing, isn't it? Because all of our scientific advances are based on the fact that there's an orderliness to nature and there are laws of nature that we can count on being true. And so God set the world up. That's one of the things, the, the laws of nature. And the other thing he put in place is man's free will. that human beings can make choices about what they do. And, and that's a good thing as well because God, God wanted something, not just for himself, but for us. Is anybody here glad that, that you have relationships with people? I mean, there might be some people you'd wish you to have a relationship with, right? But overall, we're glad that we can have relationships with people. Anybody here glad that you can love somebody? Anybody here glad that you can choose to believe, trust God? Without free will, you couldn't do those things. You would just be a robot. Anybody remember the little dolls that they used to have that, you know, the baby dolls and you'd pull the string on the back? 
and let go and say, I love you. Did that little dolly love you? Did it have any choice to, but to say that? It had no choice but to say that. And what I want to say to you is if God did not give us free will, there would be no love. There would be no faith. There would be no relationships. And so God established those two things. And those two things pretty much govern everything that we experience in the world. Either the laws of nature at work or we are making choices and those choices and the laws of nature interacting with each other. Now, the point is this. God is not micromanaging the world. He's not, like I said, he's not you know, grabbing everything and putting it down if it's a law of gravity or, or he isn't doing that. He set it in motion. And if you hear me say something today that you say, oh no, I don't think that's right, just relax, okay? Um, because I'm, I probably will get to something that will help with that. Secondly, I could say it wrong. Uh, and mean something different. Just tell you as well, when the service is over today, I'm gonna sit right here on these stairs and be willing to talk to you about any questions you have, okay? But God is not micromanaging the world. He put the natural laws in place. They function the way they are supposed to. He put free will in place. People make choices. Now, we know the story. Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And when they chose to disobey God, when, when Adam sinned in particular, it brought death into the world and it brought a curse upon nature. And it, it changed the nature of human beings as well. And so what God has put in place, the natural laws and man's free will have been impacted negatively by sin. Consider what the scripture says about this in Romans 8 about creation. It says, for the creation was subjected to the bondage of corruption. The whole creation groans and labors. In other words, things now wear out Things break. There's this natural evil in the world, in a sense, nowadays, okay, that, that wasn't there before. This is why things can happen that, you know, nobody seemed to make a choice about, and it just happened. And then, biblically, we know ourselves, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so for each of us, we now are, are born with a nature that's bent towards self. Life's about us and what we want, which is a sinful approach to life, okay? Now, God did not take away the laws of nature or free will even though it's now impacted by sin. He left them in place. The laws of nature still function, but now they are affected negatively by the problem of sin in the world. He did not take away man's free will, although now man often chooses evil things. But he left free will intact. And we'll talk a little more about why that is in a little bit. All right, so... Uh, when we have this sense, okay, laws of nature and free will, so what's, what's God doing? Well, God is actively involved in, in now redeeming sinful people and redeeming the world. He's in the process of, of bringing us back to him. Second uh, Peter chapter three says this, nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's where we're heading. That's where God is going to take us. He's going to redo creation. 
and remove the curse of sin from it. And then he, uh, Titus chapter two says about us, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. And so God, has, he's not abandoned the world, he is actively involved in the world with his redeeming purposes. And he is making sure that his big picture plans and purposes are being accomplished. Okay, the big picture, the things he says, this is what I am doing, that is going to happen. Now, I'm going over all this because I'm, I'm trying to help you to see how the world works. Because remember I said God is not micromanaging everything. And he's not. But that does not mean he's not actively involved. And that's what I want you to see here. God is making sure that his big picture plans and purposes are being accomplished. Ephesians 1.11 says, he makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, does that mean that God is doing everything that happens? No, it's just whatever is happening, he's making sure that it is going to accomplish his plans. Let me say this to you, let's just talk for a moment about the um, concept of God's sovereignty. Now for some of you that may be a word you know, for others it may not be a word you know. We're talking about sovereignty, it's talking about reign, God's reign over everything. That God is in charge over everything. He rules over everything. There are some who say, for God to rule over everything and to make sure it turns out the way he wants, God must control every detail all along the way. He controls man's choices, he controls every aspect. But I wanna to say to you today that I think that's too small a view of sovereignty. God is so sovereign that he allows the laws of nature to work and allows free will to exist and he still brings about his purposes and plans. That is how sovereign he is. Okay, so he is absolutely at work in these things. Uh, and we, we love this verse. I don't think we always understand it right, but Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, does that say that God makes sure that everything that happens to you is good? That isn't what it says. No, it's very clear that whatever happens to you, whether it's good or bad, and we're gonna see that before we're done, God will make sure that he's able to bring good out of it in your life, especially as you cooperate with him. Uh, every, in other words, everything that happens can be used to glorify God and for our good. Otherwise, God will not let it happen. He will intervene. He does intervene as needed. But this doesn't mean that God actively causes or actively prevents everything that happens or doesn't happen. If God needs to intervene to accomplish his plans and purposes, he will. What do we call those interventions? The laws of nature function like they normally do. What, what do we call it when God intervenes and interrupts that? Miracles, that's right. God can work miracles, God does work miracles and he will as needed. One thing that God is always actively doing is protecting us from Satan. 
He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said, and if he had the opportunity, he would destroy us. He would make this a living hell and then send us to hell. That would be his desire. So God is behind scenes. We don't know how all that works, but he is actively protecting us from Satan's <coughs> desires. And again, so we're saying God is not micromanaging the world, but I don't want you to get this sense that he's disengaged, he's not disengaged, or think, well, he must not care, he just lets things happen. No, he cares deeply about the hurt and the pain in our world. I mean, consider God's heart in this. What did God himself do? He entered into our world of pain and suffering and hurt. He entered into it. Christ came to redeem us and to give us a hope that this one day will not be our experience. 30 times in the New Testament it refers to him suffering, him suffering on our behalf. When Jesus hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing hurt, pain, suffering, the likes of which you and I don't, can't even comprehend. He knows, he understands, he cares. Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. Jesus could have come and prevented that, and he didn't. He came late, and he knew that he was gonna raise him from the dead. But I want you to show you something. Even though he knew that he was gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, he says, as he went and as he listened to the people and talked with them, he was overcome with emotion and he wept, even though he knew. Does he care? Does he feel the hurt? Yes, he does. And then this is really important that you get this. While God seldom intervenes directly, I mean, I'd, who here would like to see a few more miracles? You know, I got a few I'd like to see personally. But God normally doesn't intervene that way. By the way, if God did all the time, we wouldn't call them miracles, we'd call them normals. So God doesn't often intervene directly, but he is always, every moment, every day, intervening in our world through his people. In his people and through his people. In other words, God has not left us to ourselves. We come to Christ, he, he indwells us, and he is working in us all the time, intervening in us, helping us to see, helping us understand, helping us to respond differently. That means when this bad stuff happens, we have not been abandoned. We are not alone. He is in us, working. He, um, the author of Hebrews says that God will, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He doesn't do that. He's working in us, and let me tell you how he, he reaches in the world. This hurt happens, these things happen, and then his people reach out to the one who's hurting. And what has God just done? Actively intervened in the world through his person, through, this, through his people. How big of a role do we have then? We have a huge role to play, don't we? God wants to touch this world through us. God wants to love this world through us. God wants to, to care and help and provide for this world through us. We are his eyes, we are his, his, his ears, we are his hands, we are his feet. 
God does intervene, and he intervenes through us. And so when we start to struggle with the hurt and pain that's in the world, the question is, what are we doing about it? How are we responding to it? Are we letting God reach out to this world through us in that? And so lack of knowledge, we need to understand that this is how things function. Laws of nature which have been hurt by sin, fall, uh, the free will of man has been hurt by sin, which means people make evil choices. But nonetheless, God is actively intervening in us and through us in our world. So a lack of knowledge. Intellectual questions. Let me just try to move through these fairly quickly. How can there be a loving God with all the evil we see in the world? You ever heard anybody ask a question like that? How can there be a loving God that exists when we see all this evil in the world? Well, what's really behind this question, if you keep pushing it, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? It comes down to this. Well, if I was God, I would prevent the bad things and the hard things. If I was God, I would do things differently. But what you really mean is this, if, you, if you're honest about it. Well, if God had a limited understanding like I do, if God only knew this much about the universe like I do, and if God didn't know everything about everybody else that I don't know, and, and God uh, loved with an imperfect love like I love with, well, then he would do what I would do. And I say to you, I'm glad you're not God. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it really it is mindless. You know, Job had this problem. Job, God allowed things to happen in his life. And um, his friends came along and said, Job, you must have done something bad. <laughs> this just doesn't happen unless you did something bad. And Job said, I didn't do anything bad to deserve this. And Job rejects what they say, but he didn't reject their mindset about it. And he finally ends up kind of challenging God. He said, God, what is the deal? I didn't do anything to deserve this. And what's interesting is God then takes 125 verses and asks Job question after question after question after question that Job cannot possibly answer because Job isn't God. And Job gets it. <laughs> I don't see what you see. I don't understand what you're saying. And he said to God, he said, I was talking about things I knew nothing about. I take back everything I said. And I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Who was I to challenge you about this God? When I say, who was I to challenge you? That's not nothing in the world wrong with coming to God and saying, God, I don't get it. God, this is hard. God, I don't know what to do. That's fine. Job was challenging God on a different level. And then this question, why doesn't God just do away with the whole sin thing? Just do away with it all. Well, we already established, if God does away with it all, there's no more free will, and we go back to the robot deal, the little pull the string, I love you. So he doesn't gonna remove the free will. He cares about us too much, and, but let me say this. I mean, think about this. We choose to have children. Do we know our children are gonna have problems in life? Do we know that our children are gonna be hurt? Do we know that our children are gonna have risks? Why do we have kids then? Now I know there's a couple of you today say, yeah, why did I have kids? <laughs> but we have kids because we want to love them. And we want to experience love from them. And we want to give them an opportunity. So why do we rail on God for these things? Yeah, and, and the good news is this, there is coming a day when God will make everything right. 
There's coming a day when evil will be punished and eradicated. Justice will be done. And we will see more clearly and understand better. And it may be that God hasn't stopped all of this because he's waiting for you to turn to him. Bible says he's long-suffering and patient, not desiring that any would perish. Maybe he's waiting for you. All right, so that's intellectual questions. Wrong thinking, let's just talk about this. Let's go back to Luke chapter 13. There's wrong thinking about stuff. Sometimes people have this idea that there's a direct connection between bad things that happen and our behavior. In other words, when something bad happens to someone, how many times have you heard the question, well, what did I do to deserve this? You see what I mean? And they're immediately trying to link, okay. Now, just a thought. Have you, have you ever heard anybody say when bad things, or really good things happen, they say, oh my, what did I do to deserve this? No, we only do it with the bad, which is kind of telling about where we're coming from and what we think God's role in our life is. So here we are in Luke chapter 13. Let's read that again. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Terrible. This is not right. It's not just. What did these guys deserve? They were coming to worship. Maybe they did something wrong. Maybe they had hidden sin. Who knows? Verse 2, and Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? He brings that up, right? Oh, so you're thinking that They suffered this because they did something wrong. He says this, I tell you, and what's the next word? I'm asking you, what's the next word? I tell you, no. That's not what's going on here. The laws of nature are working. Free will is being exercised. These things are happening. He says, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What he's telling, telling us here is when we see the evil, we see the hard, the bad, it should drive us to check out our own relationship with God. Turn our focus to spiritual things. Verse four, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Turn your own thoughts to your relationship with God. And so there isn't this direct connection that we, we sort of find ourselves thinking that there is. Now, that doesn't mean that the laws of sowing and reaping work, okay? Learn to live by God's wisdom work. But those things are built into the system. God built those in to the system. And if the Bible talks about chastising, God will chastise his children because he loves them. That means he'll bring discipline or correction into your life. He could bring problems into your life. He can do that. But if that comes, I guarantee that you will know what's going on. Good parents on earth do not grab their kids and whack them on the rear end a few times and then say, you figure out why I did that. Right? In fact, we would call that what? Abuse. God is a better father than we could ever imagine being. If he's going to chastise us, he will make sure we know what it's for. It will be very clear to us. But other than that, it was wrong thinking. I think there's this direct connection between bad things and our behavior. And then why did God allow this to happen to me? (laughs) 
And, and be honest, I want to say something that sounds kind of harsh here, but I say, why not you? We all live in the same world, the same fallen nature. We all live in the same world with, with uh, people with free will who make bad and wrong choices. Why not you? Why not me? It happens to all of us. And you remember Romans 8, 28, right? God works all things together for good. Just a few verses down from there, verse 35, he says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Why did he list those things? Because they could happen. They could happen to them. And he says, when all this stuff is happening to you, don't think God doesn't love you. You're not separated. None of that can separate. God loves you. And he's at work in your life whether things are going good or whether things are going bad. And he loves you and cares about you and is at work. And then I want to say this last one, and it's, it's, it's risky for me to say it because um, depending on where you're coming from, you may hear something I'm not saying. But I'm going to say it anyway. This is wrong thinking to say this. God has a reason for everything. Now some of you are just swallowed real hard. Something terrible happens and we say to this person, well God has a reason for everything. Your baby dies or falls under the car as you're driving away and you run over your baby and then someone says to you, God has a reason for everything. The implication here is that God did this. God brought this to pass for his good reasons. I'm telling you, that isn't the way I see God working in the Bible. What God tells us is what we read in Romans 8.28, that when that terrible thing's happened, God has not abandoned you. God is still going to work in your life and God can use even that most horrific thing that has happened and turn it for good somewhere. You see the difference? And I think we mean well when we say God has a reason for that. What we want to say is, look, God's at work. And that's true. But let's be careful about how we think about these things. All right, let me just close out quickly with these other two. Unresolved sin. I think the sin we're probably talking about here is being angry with God because he didn't prevent something or because he allowed something uh, or didn't make something happen. We become angry with God. It's not a problem to get angry with God. That's not a problem. Read the Psalms. David's angry with God from time to time. He's angry. He says, I don't get it, God. I don't understand. I don't do this. But David comes around and always says, okay, but no, look, I know. I know. I know. You're God and you, you know. I don't. It's when you get angry and then purpose to stay angry. Nothing wrong with having the feel of anger. Deal with it. Be open, honest with God. But you can't stay there. And that brings us to the last one. That's just an unwillingness to surrender. You see, if you choose to stay angry, you probably end up unwilling to surrender. You become bitter. And the problem is you get stuck in the nastiest, ugliest place because something terrible has happened. You can't make sense of it. You're frustrated. And instead of yielding yourself to God and humbling yourself to God where he now works in your life and you grow and it's in, you get stuck right there. And you never escape it until you're willing to surrender to the Lord. 
Some final scriptures for you and, and a strong suggestion I want to make to you. Paul said this in Romans 8, 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The worst things that happen in this life are like this compared to eternity. If you lost a loved one unexpectedly and through just terrible circumstances, on the first day after you turned 20, and then everything else was perfect the rest of your life. And someone asks you, how is life, what would you say? Start off rough, but man, has it been awesome. But when we find ourselves in heaven with the Lord, for day after day, year after year, decades, century, millennium after millennium, what will we be experiencing? This life will be nothing. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this life and he says, for this light affliction, which is but for a moment. <laughs> That's how he describes it. And then know this, God is faithful. He's gonna do all these things in your life that he promised to do. You can believe him, you can choose to trust God to live by whatever he says is true. Jesus in John 16 says, you will have suffering, but be courageous because I have overcome the world. You'll have suffering in this world, but I've overcome the world. The bad, the hard, the evil doesn't have the final say. God does. And so we can choose to believe him. And so my strong suggestion to you is this, that now's the time to learn to think this way. Now's the time to learn to think biblically about these things because you don't wanna be trying to learn this when you're in the middle of it. Now's the time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word that you do speak to these things. Lord, and these are still big questions and, and certainly don't feel like we've answered everything here today. If we could do that, we would be you. Um, so we ask for your grace, your mercy, your comfort. We thank you that you do work in our lives and you do intervene. But Father, I pray that we will believe what's really true. We will understand how you work as best we can so that we might be able to continue to learn what's true and choose to trust you and so believe you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.